Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Good to see you guys. Somebody asked me right before the service if I get nervous right before, and I said no, as long as I remember my depends. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I think it would be abnormal, right, if somebody like really genuinely had no nerves at all before they stand up in front of a bunch of people. Um, no matter how prepared you are, I think it's, it would be weird. Um, but you guys actually make it easy because you're very kind, first of all, and gracious and not critical. And you never compare one person to another person. And you don't pick apart uh, preacher's mistakes afterwards or leave and say, I didn't understand a word. He said, you guys never do any of that. So it actually does make it a little bit easier. So uh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, but if you're here tonight and you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open it to Acts chapter 19. If you need a Bible, the usher who normally claps at the end of announcements, whose hands were... He was actually back there. I saw him in the back row. He was literally work, like stretching out, ready to hand out Bibles in the back. So I hope somebody needs one tonight because he is prepared for his role. Um, so we're in Acts chapter 19 as we... Uh, continue with following the life of Paul. Um, let's, let's pray. I'm going to um, pray and then we'll get into the message. Anybody get rained on tonight on the way in? Baptized a little bit? Um, but it's sprinkling, right? Anybody get immersed completely? We're going to talk about these things tonight. So uh, God gave us a little bit of a living illustration uh, ahead of time. But Father, we uh, again just turn our hearts to your word and um, I pray, Lord, that my voice would be effective, but that it would fade into the background of what your spirit is doing in our hearts as we uh, look into the truth that changes us. So would you please, Lord, have access into the deepest parts of who we are and um, the, the, the revolutionary truth that's contained in this passage would touch us in a way that uh, really means something and really uh, affects our lives, Lord, forever. So uh, we know that's the power of your word and, and the uh, potential and ability of your spirit. So we invite you, Lord, to do that in us as we uh, hear it and, and um, open ourselves to you tonight. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, Jesus said to his disciples during his earthly ministry um, that he would build his church. It was actually the response of a conversation that he had had um, with a few of them. And he said, who do you say that I am? And um, Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus said that upon this rock, the, 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 the rock and foundation of who Jesus is, he said he would build his church. Um, which is uh, crazy to think about that it didn't even exist yet. It was something that was in his heart. It was uh, in his mind, but it hadn't yet begun. And um, Jesus died and then he rose and the spirit came and the church began. And uh, really the book of Acts that we're studying chronicles uh, the birth and then the spread of the gospel and, and ultimately the church. And so as we come into chapter 19, we see that the gospel and the church is spreading throughout the Roman Empire at this time. Um, we know that the Apostle Paul, who's uh, really the predominant figure, at least of this section of the book of Acts, that he is the man who is responsible uh, for the planting of many of those churches. We know that there are several leaders at this point that are uh, beginning to move around between the churches. And again, Paul is responsible 
for uh, training or appointing or uh, preparing many of those leaders that are actually uh, doing that. And so um, where, where Paul had been as of late is that he had spent about a year and a half in the uh, Grecian city of Corinth that was just a little bit west of Athens. Um, and then he left Corinth, and he took with him Priscilla and Aquila, and he went back across the Aegean Sea into Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he came to the city of Ephesus. He left Priscilla and Aquila, the, the, the couple that he had um, met and befriended and, and, and enjoined to himself. He left them in Ephesus, and then Paul himself went to uh, Jerusalem and then to Antioch for a season. Um, and it was while in Ephesus that Priscilla and Aquila met Apollos, who was the character of our last study that we looked at uh, together, who um, became also a leader and a figure, a powerful um, helper of the early church. Uh, and so we, we don't know how, but we know that Priscilla and Aquila ultimately left Ephesus. They end up in Rome, of all places. And Apollos left Ephesus and he went to Corinth, where Paul had uh, been previously and planted a church. And now as we find Paul again, Paul uh, moves back now and he comes to Ephesus. So Paul now comes to the place where Priscilla and Aquila met Apollos. Then they leave, he leaves, and now Paul comes back to Ephesus and he finds a small group of disciples there. And that's what happens in the passage that we have before us. So let's read the first seven verses of Acts 19 um, and, and then ask God to help us to, to really experience what uh, this is all about. So it says, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Essentially, we don't know what you're talking about. And so Paul said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. That is the baptism of John the Baptist. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were there about twelve. And so Paul now comes into this region of Ephesus where uh, the, there had been some form of ministry, again, not really started by Paul, but by Priscilla, Aquila, and then Apollos. Uh, they have left, and Paul comes in, and he finds these disciples, and in, in finding them, he, he either saw something in them, or he sensed something about them, or maybe he just needed to say something to them and didn't know where to lead in. And so he asks them this question, and he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And so I don't know what it is that he saw or what prompted him to ask that question, but, but perhaps he sensed that there was something missing, something lacking, uh, that there was a lack of depth to his experience. We know that there's no other place, at least recorded in the Bible, where Paul started that way, where he led in with a group of people asking that question. But here he does, he asks the question, uh, and shockingly, the response of these people, thankfully in honesty, 
they say, we don't know what you're talking about, which is great because most you know, Christians would just be like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course we, you know, yeah, whatever that is, we, we've got it. But they were like, we, we really don't have a clue what it is that you're talking about. And then this conversation uh, opens up because of it. Now, what we can assume is that obviously they, they're called disciples, so we know that they knew about God. They knew about the Father. Um, we can also safely assume that they knew about the Son in that uh, Aquila and Priscilla had been there, Apollos had been there. Uh, it wasn't a, a message that was void of Jesus, uh, so they knew who Jesus was. They just didn't really f- understand the full impact of what Jesus did, what he came to do, and who he is in the life uh, of the New Testament Christian, of the believer now. And so they knew who the Father was, they knew who the Son was, but they had no idea who the Spirit was. Now, when we search the scriptures and kind of think about this person or this presence or this thing uh, called the Holy Spirit, what we know is that there, there was a, a presence or, or a person called the Spirit in the Old Testament. He is spoken of in the Psalms. Uh, David was familiar with the Spirit of God. He would uh, be able to say freely, take not your Holy Spirit from me. We know that um, we see the Holy Spirit throughout, but it was always somewhat of a mystery. Jesus kind of untangles the mystery for us in his teaching. And so in John chapter 14, Jesus um, gives teaching concerning the Holy Spirit. And I don't, I'm obviously not going to read the whole chapter, but just a couple of verses so that we can understand who the Holy Spirit is. And I don't know um, if Paul uh, led in this way, uh, you know, or, or, or this was a part of his explanation. I'm sure that it was. If they don't know who the Spirit is, then obviously he has to familiarize them with him. But listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15. He said this. He said, if you love me, He said, then keep my commandments or keep my word, keep my truth. And he said that I will pray to the father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even now he tells us who this comforter is. He says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he shall be in you. Okay, so Jesus gives us a couple of clues, uh, first of all, about this. Number one is that we know that there is a Holy Spirit because Jesus uh, clearly tells us of him right here in it. Uh, We also know that he's a person because Jesus refers to him as a him. He doesn't call it an it. It's not a force. It's not a power to be tapped into. Uh, but the Spirit of God is a person according to Jesus. We also know that he is an invisible person because uh, he cannot be seen with the naked eye. And so he is a person, he is uh, invisible. We also know from what Jesus says right here is that he can dwell with a person and he can dwell within a person because Jesus says he is with you, that is alongside of you, and he says that he shall be in you. That is that it's possible for a person to not only know uh, the presence of the Spirit externally, but it's possible for a person to experience the person of the Holy Spirit internally. We know all of that from what Jesus says right here in these couple of verses. Down just a little bit further in Jesus' teaching of this, in John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus elaborates a, a bit more. He says, uh, it says that Jesus answered and said unto him, He said, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and watch this, he says, and my father will love him, and we 
will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now, watch this, because what Jesus is essentially saying here is he's saying that me and the Father will come and make our presence known in you through this person of the Holy Spirit. And and this is really where we get the idea or the, the truth of what we would call the Trinity or the triunity of God, that there is one God as he declares that he is one, and yet he is one in the distinct personages of the Father, of the Son, and of the Spirit. And so for Jesus to say that we, me and the Father, will come live in you through the Spirit, it makes God the Holy Spirit an invisible person who is God, who can be with you and can also be in you. That is who the Holy Spirit is that we are talking about here. So the person of the Holy Spirit is the invisible, bodiless presence of the Father and the Son. He is no less a person than the Father and the Son, and he is also no less than God himself. Okay, that is who the Holy Spirit is. Now, these disciples here in Ephesus that Paul has now encountered, they don't know even who he is. They've never even heard of it. They don't know what Paul is talking about. So they didn't even know he existed, much less did they know the possibility of an experience that they can have with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice that Paul did not ask these disciples if they knew about the Holy Spirit. He wasn't trying to inform them or give them a set of teachings or share with them a doctrine. That was not what he asked. He didn't say, do you know about the Spirit? He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In other words, what Paul is trying to impart to these people is not a knowledge, but an experience. There's something that they're lacking that they can be experiencing. And and it's important that we make the distinction between knowledge and experience, because you can know about something and yet not experience it. So that was the, the reality here, is that he wants them to know this experience. And so Paul follows this little interaction with a question. He says, okay, you know who the father is. You know who the son is. He says, you don't know who the spirit is. He says, then into what then were you baptized? That's the question that he now asks them. Okay. Now you say, why is that question paramount to what's about to happen or what Paul is trying to do? What does baptism have to do with all of this? Well, baptism is defined as essentially a ceremonial washing. Usually it was done through immersion, like you all kind of know or have seen or have some contextual understanding of a baptism of a person uh, being submerged underwater and then uh, arising up out of it again. A ceremonial immersing or, or washing that represents, now listen to this, it represents a personal commitment to a life of dedication and devotion to God. That's what baptism represents, okay? So what Paul is asking them when he says, into what then were you baptized? Is he is saying, what teaching or belief system about God did you devote yourselves to when you believed? What teaching or belief system about God, essentially, what is it that you believed about the God 
unto whom you were baptized into his name. Unto what then were you baptized? And the answer that they gave is that they believed in the teachings of John the Baptist. That was what they had devoted themselves to. That was the message that John gave. Now, we know from reading the last chapter that they heard about that from Apollos because Apollos was the one who knew the baptism of John and had imparted that knowledge to them. And so that was the teaching that it was, okay? Now, Paul then goes on to explain to this group of believers, and he says to them that John the Baptist, his baptism, his teaching, his doctrine, his ideology, his message that he was given from God, it was a message or a baptism of preparation, conditioning the heart unto readiness for when Jesus would come so that they would be able to hear, perceive, understand, and believe the message that Jesus was then bringing. John's was a baptism, a teaching of preparation, wherein Jesus was the reality. He was the substance. He was the power that was behind what John was preparing the people to uh, receive. Now, I want to take you to John the Baptist so that we understand the difference between the baptism of John and the baptism in the name of Jesus that we see here depicted in the text. So in Matthew chapter 3, and the verses will come up on the screen so you can uh, follow along with us, I want to read to you the first six uh, verses of Matthew chapter 3 so that we understand John's message, John's baptism. It says that in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, mind you, this is before Jesus has been presented uh, as Messiah. It's before his ministry even began. And it says that he said, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he, speaking of John, that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his paths straight. So it was prophesied before that there would be a messenger, a prophet, that would come before Jesus that would prepare the way. And Matthew is telling us that's who John was. He was preparing for Jesus. And the same John had his clothing of camel's hair and a leather girdle around his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. We won't get distracted with uh, his um, eccentricity. But in verse 5, it says, Then... Went out to, to him, uh, went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and they were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So God gave John an audience with the Israelites. They received his word. They recognized and were convicted of their sins and the coldness and darkness of their hearts. And they allowed John to baptize them, affirming within themselves, confessing and professing within themselves that they wanted what God was going to do. They wanted to be a part of it. And so they were prepared for it. Now, John explains that he is the preparer. Watch what happens in verse uh, 11. In verse 11, John says this. He explains to them. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to bear. I, I can't even be his shoe bearer. And he says, 
He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So John makes a very clear distinction between his message, his purpose, his ministry, his baptism, and that which would come when Jesus would come, the message, person, ministry, and purpose of Jesus when Jesus would then baptize. He says, I baptize with water. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And it's important that you understand that he made a distinction. They are not the same baptism. Okay, what he is saying is that the effect and the experience of the person who is baptized one way or the other is going to be different. It's going to be distinct. And he uses the comparison of water versus fire. And we are, those are elements that all of us are familiar with. We all understand water and we all understand fire. And there's a big distinction, a big difference between the two. Water washes Water cleanses, okay? Water softens. Water can do something on the outside, but water can only go so far. It doesn't have the same properties, the same ability as fire. Water can clean something, but water doesn't necessarily change something. It can wash it off. It can tenderize it. It can clean it. But it isn't the same as fire. Fire, on the other hand, fire has the ability to purify a substance. Fire consumes. It goes beyond the surface, and it gets to the very core. It will eat away and get on the inside. Fire reveals. Oftentimes, you hear about proving something. Fire proves. It tests the validity of a substance. It burns away what is worthless, and it purifies and refines what is valuable and worthwhile. Fire also expands. That whatever is, is uh, flammable in, that comes in contact with fire, it will also catch fire. So it will go further. It will expand. It will not go out until it runs out of fuel. And we also know another property of fire is that fire extracts energy. That is what fire is doing. It is finding the source of energy that's within a substance, whether it's wood or oil or something else, and it is igniting and turning that potential energy into kinetic energy. So it is pulling the energy that is tucked inside of something out of it and making it useful or potent in the moment when the fire is burning, okay? So there's a very strong difference between water and fire. Now, the question that would be in us as we hear these things is what does that look like in the experiential? Because we know these things are metaphoric. Like God doesn't literally like, you know, hit us with a map gas torch and light us on physical fire, you know, like the wicked witch of the West or something like that. And, and you know, so what does it mean to be baptized with fire? What does it actually look like? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because in the same chapter of Matthew, chapter three, we actually see an example of it. Because it's only a few moments later that Jesus shows up at John's baptism. In John's church, you could say. And Jesus is baptized in the water of John. And then right after that, as he comes out of the water, Jesus is baptized in the Holy Ghost. And we actually get to see what it means and what it looks like to be baptized by fire. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And again, it's coming up on the screen. 
And it says that Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight away out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased." Okay, so there's a couple of things right here that you can, right off the bat, you can pull out and you can say, this is what happens when you are baptized by fire. First of all, it says that the heavens are opened, meaning that whereas once there was a barrier or or some separation between the, the, the entity on earth and the entity above, that barrier is broken in a sense, and there is now a new level of openness and relationship that exists between that which is above and that which is below. It says that the heavens were opened. It also tells us that there was a voice that came, okay? Now, interestingly, not everyone that was there heard the voice, but the people that needed to hear the voice heard the voice. Does it ever, does it ever puzzle you when people talk about hearing the voice of God? Or when you read in the scriptures and it says that God spoke like to Abraham or God spoke to David and, 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 you know, and, and, and then you hear other Christians say that the Lord spoke to me. Is there anyone, I know there's going to be at least one. Is there anyone in here that has actually heard God audibly speak? Audibly, like you know God audibly spoke to you like a sentence or a paragraph or something like that. Okay, there are a couple and I believe that he can do that. But for the overwhelming majority of people that know God, the voice of God is not an audible voice that comes through the external into the ear and into our mind and then into our body. No, the spirit of God who comes into a life speaks from within the life. And so the voice of God comes on the level of oftentimes thoughts okay, because he's speaking from inside. There's an internal communication that happens between a person and God that is very much like the internal dialogue that happens between a person and themselves. Please tell me that you all have talked to yourself in silence, (laughs) okay, because if I'm the only one that has conversations with myself in in silence, then you should just have me committed, all right, because I talk all day long. There's this internal dialogue going on inside. So if the Spirit of God gets in, okay, then the dialogue happens from within, and I actually think that's quite a beautiful thing because the Bible does say that all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Which means that the relationship that that God invites us into with himself is a relationship that's so intimate that nothing is hidden. And when nothing is hidden, you can communicate on the level of thought. I mean, think about it for a minute. What would happen if all of us right now automatically could read one another's thoughts? What if your spouse could read every one of your thoughts right now? What would happen? I think the divorce rate would immediately quadruple or, or more. You know, you'd be like, We'd be, we'd be shocked. Why? Because we, we don't know that level of, of nakedness or openness with each other. We, we're not vulnerable enough. We, we can't do that, you know? But God gets in and he sees it all. And so he can communicate with us on that level where it's at the level of our thoughts. And so we see that here. We see that the voice of God becomes very apparent when there is a baptism of fire. 
We also see uh, in, this, in this, um, this interaction here that not only is there a, a connection and there is a, uh, a voice, there's a communication, but there is also an impartation or a realization of the love of God. Did you hear, do you hear what God said when, when he came upon Jesus in that moment that the, the spirit came upon him? He said, this is my beloved son. The love of God was imparted and communicated in a way that could only be realized internally. It's, it's not so, you know, like someone says they love you. They're like, I love you. And you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, but when someone really loves you, and that love can be imparted on an internal and deep level. There's something so powerful about it. And when a person is baptized by fire, when God says that he loves you, that love means something and it does something. It affects something. It changes something on the inside. And so there's an experience of knowing God's love internally, not just in the mind when the baptism of fire comes. There is also an expression and a realization of identity. Do you see what God says over Jesus in this moment? He says, this is my beloved son. He, he gives him, he tells him his identity. He reveals to him fully who he is in that moment. Now, did Jesus not know that? I think Jesus probably did. Why is it written? Because we don't. We often don't know who we are. You know, I, we were, my wife and I, we were talking, um, we had some of the, the college kids over at our house over the weekend for something, and uh, one of them was, was talking about how they just wanted to take the next couple of years to figure out who they were. And me and my wife looked at, at, at her and then each other, and we laughed. And I said, well, we're in our mid-40s, and we're still trying to figure it out. So let us know how that works out for you, you know. But, 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 but what the Spirit of God does when he gets into a life is he's the one that calls forth the true identity. Because God's the one who made you, so he's the one who knows you. He's the one that can pull out of you who you actually are. This is my beloved son. And then finally, the last thing that we see is acceptance. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He does not say who I will be well pleased in once he gets a few things straight or when he finishes what I asked him to do, but already front-loaded, before anything is done, he says, you're filled with my spirit. I want you to know that I accept you. I want you to know that who you are, your person right now, you are accepted by me. I, I love you. I love you. And I love you as you are. Okay. So if we were to sum all of this up into a word, when a person is baptized by fire, the word would be power. And the reason I use that word is because that's the word that Jesus used to describe it when he told his disciples what would happen. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It was just before the Holy Spirit would be poured out and made available to all who would put their faith in Christ. And here's what Jesus said. He says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you and the result of that is that you shall be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, why does Jesus use the word power to summarize or encapsulate this experience of being baptized by fire? I'll tell you why. Because when you have an open line to heaven and an open and deep relationship with God where you can talk to him and you can hear him as he speaks to you, and when the love of God is really made real 
and a parent in your life, and the identity that you have from God is revealed to you from God, and you know that you're accepted in that position that you're in, those are all individually the most empowering things that can happen to a person. And when you put them all together, that is a level of power that will make a life fire. And that's why Jesus says, when you have this experience, you shall be witnesses for me. He doesn't say, you're going to go out witnessing and tell people. No, he says, when that happens to you, you will be a witness. Because when people see a life that is affected that way, it becomes attractive and curious and, 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 and something that they're drawn to. They want to know. They've got to know. And so you automatically become a witness for Jesus when you are empowered, filled, um, baptized with the fire that he gives. Now, the disciples in Ephesus that Paul is talking to in Acts chapter 19, they had experienced John's message and John's baptism, but they had not experienced Jesus' baptism of fire that John spoke of. You say, what is the difference Okay, what's the barrier? Why is it that these disciples had come as far as they did, but they didn't go all the way in? Why is it that they weren't experiencing whatever it was that Paul saw that, that made him ask the question? What was it? Is this just all semantics? I mean, is it all a matter of like having the right combination of words? Like if they had, if they had prayed the right way, if they had said the right things, if when they were baptized, right, if the, if the name, the word Jesus was mentioned in that moment, would then suddenly, because they, they, instead of just saying, you're baptized under John's baptism, but if someone had just slipped in a Jesus, would, would that have been totally different? Was it just the names, the semantics? Is it forms? Is God the DMV? Is God like a government agency where if you fill out all the paperwork right and you get all the semantics and the words right, well, then you'll be approved and, and God will, you know, okay, well, this one can have it, but that one cannot because they, there's line, line 17B is not filled out properly. So, you know, just kick this back and we'll review that again later. Maybe they can get it right further down the road. Is that what this is? Is it, is it just semantics and words and, you know, all, all of these kind of things? Is it a mantra or a type of prayer and the whole thing? It's not. You knew that I was going to say that. You say, well, what is it then? The answer is belief. The word believe shows up twice in the passage. He said, did you receive the spirit when you believed? The issue, what makes the difference is the faith. What are you believing? It's used in there two times. You say, well, why is belief or faith the determining factor? Here's why. Because belief or faith determines my perspective, the way I see things. I see things according to what I believe. That's the lens through which I interpret reality. It's my faith, okay? So belief determines my perspective. Belief also determines my behavior. I will behave and act and do according as the belief I have inside of me dictates and bears witness with actions. And so belief determines perspective. It determines behaviors it also determines expectations. What I expect to happen in my life or in my future 
is directly connected to what I believe. Faith is literally attached to everything that we experience in this life. And here's why that matters. Because if your connection to God or your belief about God is aligned only with the message of John the Baptist, then your perspective and behavior and expectation concerning the things of God will be different than if your belief is aligned with the gospel of Christ. Because they are distinct, they're not exactly the same. What do you mean? John's message, the core and essence of John's message and what John was preaching and declaring was a message of if I. And you can, if you're taking notes, you can write those words down. If I. In other words, if I do enough good deeds, or if I cleanse away the sin of my life enough and purify my behavior enough, or if I produce enough fruits of repentance, is a word that John the Baptist used, if I measure up, if I attain to the level that God considers qualified, if I can maintain that standing that I am uh, ultimately climbing towards, if I can maintain the level of cleanness that I have right after a retreat or after a good church service, if I can maintain it, if I can work hard enough for it, okay, then, then God will. If I, that was the message of John, okay, if I, all right, so to believe or put your faith in what John was preaching means that you agree with John's message, you are going to try as hard as you can to purify, cleanse, and align your life with God's ideals and standards, and you are constantly going to be measuring and assessing your progress and, and, and interpreting your feelings and experiences and seeing if God is doing in your life according to what is good enough. That's what your belief, perspective, your actions, and your expectations are going to be aligned with if you're following the message of John. It's a message of if I. Now, the message of Christ, the message of the gospel is not a message of if I. It's a message of because he. And if you're taking notes, you can write that down, okay? There's a huge difference between if I and because he. So if you're following the message of Jesus, all right, then you are saying that because he did what I couldn't do or what I wouldn't do, because he lived the life that fulfilled God's holiness standard and God's justice, because he, through the cross, paid the price that humanity's sin deserved, because he offers forgiveness and reconciliation and relationship, because he extends an invitation to me to receive God's gift of grace, because he did what I couldn't, then because of that, I am now entitled, I am now qualified, I am now allowed to experience all that God has for me. And that is a completely different belief than that of John, because John's is work harder, try harder, attain more, sacrifice and maintain it and see if God can maybe find you worthy. Jesus says, I've paid it all. I've done it all. If you believe and put your faith in me, 
Okay, and so to believe in him, to believe in Jesus, is not to move in the direction of effort, but it's to move in the direction of relationship, to receive what he freely gives, to receive the love of God because of what Jesus did, not because of what I do, to receive his word of identity spoken over my life, not because I've earned favor and gotten close enough to God, but because Jesus paid for it completely, to receive acceptance from God, and, and, and not to think that I have to earn it, but that he imparts it because of my faith in Jesus, and to receive his will in my life so that I accept outcomes and circumstances as his goodness in my life with hope and assurance that time and patience will reveal his purpose and reason. See, if you're believing according to John, if it's an if-I thing, then every time something goes wrong in your life, you will put in, you'll, you'll put a, a, a because on it. You'll say, well, this is happening because I failed three weeks ago. This is happening because I'm not having devotions or keeping up with my attendance or doing the things that I know I'm supposed to do. And that's why this, it's because, that's John, okay? No, but when it's Jesus, when it's because he, then when things happen in my life, I, I say, I don't fully understand this, I can't interpret it completely. I can't see where it's leading or why it matters right now, but I know his love. I know his goodness. I know his purpose and will. I know his promise and truth. And I believe that though I can't see it right now, I know that this is part of what he's doing in my life that is for my good. Do you see the difference? There's a massive difference, but it happens on the level of faith. One of those faiths will produce weariness, frustration, confusion, and distance. That's the, that's the faith of believing John's message, of walking in John's message. You will constantly be weary because you're constantly trying to do something that you're not strong enough to do. You will constantly be frustrated because your best efforts will never be enough to get God to respond to what you're doing. You will be confused because you will think you're doing everything right and yet it seems like you're missing God by just so much that you can't perceive him. And ultimately, it will create distance because when you are weary, you need to rest. And if God's presence makes me tired, then I need to get out of God's presence so that I can refresh myself. And that's what that message is going to produce in a life. But when it's a because he, okay, when, when it's Jesus that you're trusting in, then that's going to produce satisfaction, it's going to produce discovery because you're growing closer to him. It's going to produce development because you're growing. It's going to produce energy because he's, he's filling you and the combustion of his power in your life is, is firing, it's working, and it's going to produce freedom and it's going to produce intimacy. It's going to drive you closer to him because all of the stuff that was keeping you from him has now been removed, paid for, and taken out of the way. I was at uh, just, I think it was just, it was either yesterday, what, what's today, Wednesday? I think it was yesterday. Uh, I was out um, looking at a job at, out in Kerhonkson at this Jewish camp, and, um, and, and it was a very, very uh, peculiar place and um, peculiar situation. But the second time I was out there, uh, we, you know, we, we sold one job there, and then uh, before we even started the first job, they added another. And so we went out there the first time like a month ago, and we dealt with this son. 
And um, he was just this really, really, really cool, really down-to-earth, uh, actually quite witty, really funny, like really just a likable guy. He's probably younger than me. He's probably about 30 years old, the son. And we were going through, and, and he kept talking about Yaakov, Yaakov, Jacob, you know, Yaakov, that was his dad. And his dad is the money and the, you know, the authority behind the things, but he wasn't there. And so there was times that things came up and he said, well, I'm going to have to ask Yaakov. I have to ask uh, Yaakov. I don't know. Well, we'll have to get back with him, you know, whatever on the whole thing. And, you know, and, and I'm thinking like, I'm picturing in my mind, like the Godfather, like I'm picturing this guy in like a, like a suit who's got this office somewhere in, in, you know, some mansion somewhere who's like just calling the shots and runs all these different things, you know, we go out there the second time and we go out the second time and Yaakov is there. And Yaakov is this lively, like funny, down to earth, like he was just an, a little bit older reflection of the sun. He was really funny. He was really cool. He was really down to earth. And, and here's the thing. Here's why I'm telling you this story. Because there was a couple of times uh, in, in the interaction and as we were going through and figuring out details of what needed to be done, that um, Yaakov, the father, said to the son, he said, I don't know what's the best thing to do here. He says, you decide. He said that to the son. And the son, this is, this is the thing that got me. The son made a decision so fast that he barely even thought about it. He just said, let's go with the combo lock. And the father's like, all right. You know, and, and that happened like two or three times where the father said, I don't know what to do here. He says, you decide. And then he would, he would just make a decision. Like before, before I even had time to think about what the options were, the, the son had already made the decision and the father was like, yes, let's go for it. You know? And I, and I just kind of like took it all in at that moment. Cause you know, you're busy and you're taking care of things. But, uh, you know, I, I have this internal conversation with myself constantly and you're always filtering through the things that happen in a day. And, and this relationship between the, the father and the son, it just struck me because most times when you have a circumstance like that, where you have like the authority figure who's in charge, who writes the checks and calls the shots, and then you have a son who kind of knows this whole thing, there's this trepidation. And there's this intensity in that moment that if the father says, you decide, the son goes, oh no, oh no. And, and, and the first reaction is to look at the father and ask, am I being tested right now? Like, what, do, what is he going to want? Like, what if I say what I really think, but he has a different idea of how it should go, and I speak, and then he says, no, let's not do that, you know? But it didn't happen that way. The, son, the father said, you decide. And he goes, okay, makes a decision. The father says, let's do it. And I was like, that's cool. I said, because that, that is how the relationship when there is acceptance, when there is love, when there is communion, when sin has been put away, when there is unity between the father and his kids, when the father says, do something, we go, okay. When the father says, choose, we choose. And the father goes, okay. Whereas often, what we'll do is we'll go, oh no. The father is telling me, the father is giving me a choice in here. I don't want to make the wrong choice. I don't want to tick God off because he knows all things and I know very few things and he's telling me to make a decision. And we can almost get crippled 
in that place of saying, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't know if I should marry him or her. I don't know if I should take this job or that job. And we say, God, what should I do? And he just goes, just choose, just choose. And we go, what if I make the wrong choice? What's the wrong choice? I'm God. Choose. You know, do you see that there's a difference? If it's an if I, then, then God's only going to be pleased if I get it right. But if it's a because he, then I'm really free. I'm really loved. I'm really allowed. I'm really directed. I'm really kept. I'm really shepherded. There, there's this thing that's happening wherein my life is actually firing the way it should be, where there's progress and identity and purpose and things are happening. And my life is a witness to people that just like Yaakov and his son were to me a witness. I saw it. I'm like, that's a cool relationship. And when people see us living in the fire of the relationship that God intended for us to have, it's attractive And they say, what is it that you have, this level of freedom that you possess, this level of life, this level of understanding who you are, where does that come from? And it causes people to be drawn to God. And it's a powerful thing the way it happens. Well, in verse 5, it tells us that they are now baptized in the name of Jesus. So Paul says, listen, you guys need to realign your belief. You need to make the shift from being if I to being because he. You have to be baptized in the name of Jesus and understand that his message is different. And so they do. He prays for them and there's an immediate effect. It says that they spoke with tongues and they prophesied, okay? Now, I don't want you to get hung up or distracted by the prophecy and the tongues because what happened in that moment is not what's important. It's that it happened. That's what's important. Okay, because if, if, if what happened is important, then that all of a sudden becomes the, the marker. Okay, well, if I'm, if I'm baptized with fire, then that means I'll speak with tongues and prophesy. Let me tell you a, a secret. Not everyone speaks with tongues and prophesies. Did you know that? Okay, but when the Spirit of God comes upon a life, something happens something happens. It's not going to be the same for every person. In this instance, that's what happened. But that's not what happens every time. But there was an immediate effect in their life and in their actions that was new and unique to them. Don't box God in on it. Because uh, what happens, there are people that say, "If if you don't speak with tongues, then that means you do not have the Holy Spirit. Okay? You want to give someone a panic attack, and, and move them right back into the if I category. Tell them something like that, okay? Because not everybody speaks with tongues, <laughs> all right? Uh, Paul even said that in another place, all right? So don't do that because you're going to produce frustration and give people a false drive. I want you to know that when, when, when the Holy Spirit came upon my life, it was not like this dramatic and expressive and emotional uh, thing that happened. Here's the effect that that happened in my life, is that when the Holy Spirit came upon me, I began to have an unquenchable thirst and desire for the Word of God, for God, and for His truth. I could not get enough of Him, and what came with that is that God imparted to me the understanding connected to the things that I was hearing, uh, learning, and reading 
on a level that I thought was absolutely normal to everybody. I came to learn later, later that, that that isn't what exactly what happens. He also gave to me a desire to communicate the truths that I was learning and that he was showing and teaching me, and he was making it effective when I did. That was how it happened, and he began to lead my steps. There was like this supernatural sense that God was orchestrating and ordaining. It didn't mean I always had confidence in it, but, but it's what was happening, all right? Now, I tell you that because what happened to me in the early days, I want to try to spare you from having that same experience. Because when I was, I guess you could use the word baptized, I was baptized in brackish. You guys know what brackish is? It's like two different types of water. And it was like I was kind of baptized in the name of Jesus, enough that his spirit really did come on me. But I was kind of also baptized in, in the water of John. Be because what happened is that, that these well-meaning, and I, really well-meaning Christians began to kind of put on me that I was kind of missing something. That, that I had to keep on trying if I wanted to really experience it all. Because I didn't have like the super emotional experience, but I saw people that did. I didn't speak with tongues, but I was around people that did. I didn't like to debate with non-believers about what was true, but there were people around me that did and were good at it. And I began to think, I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I don't really have what I'm supposed to have because my life doesn't look like their life. And what I needed in that moment was someone to pull me, pull me aside and say, listen, not everyone looks the same. Not all fire is the same, okay? Some fires start with a small ember and over time they become a small flame and then they grow and they become more consuming. Some fires spontaneously combust and it's like an explosion, but not all fire starts the same way. All fire does, however, expand and consume completely everything in its path. So when you put your faith in Jesus and receive by faith his forgiveness and his spirit in your life, it's okay for you to not have the experience that someone else has or to be like what someone else is. You need to trust completely, okay, that, listen, you're human. You might not be developed yet. You might not be mature yet. But as Paul said to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, he said, you are complete in Christ Jesus. Meaning that it might not have all unfolded yet, because now there's a lot of things in my life that are there that weren't there at the beginning. And it wasn't because I earned them. It was because I grew into them. Because that's how God did it with me. He did does things different with different people. Okay. We have to close this thing now because I see the time. All right? It's going to grow. And that's what we see in verse 7. The last verse of the passage, it says that the number of them were about 12. So they're going to they're gonna grow. It's not going to stay 12. And these people are not going to stay the same. It's going to get bigger. It's going to go further. And so the question I ask you tonight in response to all that we are, are seeing here in this passage, my question to you is this. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And, and, and as an addendum to that question, 
I ask you the question, is your perspective a perspective of if I, or is it a perspective of because he? Is your perspective that of always trying to get to the next level so that you can unlock the next thing? It's the wrong perspective. Your perspective is because he. Is your action to try harder or is it to get closer? Is your reaction to the things that happen in your life, the trials in your life, is it this is because or is it in hope of I, 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 I wonder what God's doing. There's something happening here. Is your expectation, your hope of the future, is it fear or is it hope? Is it joy or is it despair? Is it confusion or is it confidence? Is it progress or is it stagnancy? Are you alive in his love? Are you hearing his voice? Do you know and is he unfolding your identity And do you know his acceptance or do you feel like you're constantly trying to earn it? If you think about those things, you can answer the question, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And if you are struggling tonight in any of those things and asking yourselves the question, do not look for a mantra. Don't try to pray and say it in different words. Don't think that you need someone special to lay their hands on you. There's one thing you need to do if you're struggling in this. You need to look at what you believe. The answer is in your faith. What do you believe? The Spirit fell on these people when their faith was realigned. The Spirit fell on the household of Cornelius when Peter preached and they believed the message that they heard concerning Jesus. Paul would say to the Galatians, Galatians chapter two, verse two, he said, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law, by doing more? Or did you receive it by the hearing of faith? You heard and you believed. Look at your belief if you feel like you're lacking. And you say, well, what if I don't receive the baptism of fire? I close with these words. Acts chapter two, verse 37 It's a sermon that was preached by Peter, anointed by the Spirit. After preaching the gospel to the first group of of hearers, it says that when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, the putting away of your sins, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Or the gift, rather, he said, uh, lost my page, hold on. The gift of the Holy Ghost, he says, now here it is, for the promise, the promise of the Spirit, the promise of the fire, the promise of God's love manifested in your heart, the promise of the unfolding of your identity, the hearing of his voice, the knowledge of your acceptance before the Lord God. He says, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then with many other words that he testify and exhort uh, the, the believers that were there, you need to know this, is that there's not one person on the face of the planet that should they put their faith and trust in Jesus, cannot receive the baptism of fire that only Jesus can give. 
but it comes when we put our faith and our trust completely in what he did. Would you stand with me? I just want to pray over you as we close. Father, we uh, thank you, Lord, for, for this truth and as mysterious and, and um, curious as it is, Lord, we stand before you, Lord, knowing that you gave this gift. You promised the disciples, you said that you'll pray the Father and that he'll give us another comforter that will abide with us forever. We hear the voice of Peter saying that the promise is for us and for our children and as for as many as are afar off. And so here we stand tonight, right now, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that you would give us the clarity and the ability to really see what, what it is that we believe, to really ask ourselves the question, are we trying to earn something? Are we trying to measure up to something? Are we doubting that the blood of Jesus is enough? Or Lord, will you give us the faith and the ability to trust completely that you paid a price we couldn't pay and you did it because we could never pay it and that you're willing, Lord, to impart to us everything that we need. And so tonight, Lord, our need, our ask is that we might have this baptism of fire, that every one of us, Lord, would have our full trust and devotion in you, that we would receive and believe your word that you would speak over us when you would say that you're mine, you're my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. So Lord, I pray that you would make up what's lacking if there be anything lacking. I pray that you would change our perspective and our belief where it's off or, 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 or misaligned. And Father, I pray for anyone that's here tonight that doesn't know you yet personally, that has never trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, that even now in this moment, they would long for and hunger for the relationship that can be not just with us, but in us. Lord, would you please impart salvation in this place right now? Would you move anyone here that's a doubter or a skeptic or an unbeliever or even someone who just doesn't know and hasn't heard? Would you move in every heart right now to whisper the words, Jesus, I give you my life, that we might truly live in you and know you. So Father, take these things Sort them out in us and move us in your power and in your life and in your plan. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.